who talked with me came out and said to me, lift your eyes now and see what this is that goes forth. So I asked, what is it? And he said, it is a basket that is going forth. He also said, this is their resemblance throughout the earth. Here is a lead disc lifted up, and this is a, this is a woman sitting inside the basket. Then he said, this is wickedness. And he thrust her down into the basket and threw the lead cover over its mouth. Then I raised my eyes and looked. And there were two women coming with the wind in their wings, for they had wings like the wings of a stork, and they lifted up the basket between earth and heaven. So I said to the angel who talked with me, where are they, where are they carrying the basket? And he said to me, to build a house for it in the land of Shinar, when it is ready, the basket will be set there on its base. All right, that's the vision. Now, I don't know how many churches and places are preaching this particular text today or even soon, but you're going to be amazed, I think, at what this really means. It is the end and the defeat of Satan. For once for all, Satan and sin defeated. Let's pray. Father, help us to understand this text in light of all of Scripture. I pray that, Father, this is the message that you did intend in the writing of this text. Father, use the biblical principles that are given from the text of Scripture and use it in the lives of everybody here this evening. Thank you, Father, for this vision of Zechariah about a woman in a basket. Help us to understand, stand in light of the temple and your glory, what this really means. We pray in Jesus' name for understanding and for application. Amen. All right, this morning I spoke about a flying scroll. This flying scroll was a curse given by God that uh, was against anybody who was a perjurer who had sinned against God. On the other side, the writing was anybody who sinned against a man, a thief, for example. And this flying scroll went over the land, and if there was a person who who had sinned against God or sinned against man, this flying scroll broke through the door, it killed all the inhabitants, and it even took the stone and the timbers and made it into dust just pulverized the, the, the place. I would say, if, you wanted, if you're thinking about how to, in your mind, reconcile this, that flying scroll shows sin's devastation. Sin's devastation. Sin is devastating. It destroys. It kills. There is nothing good about sin. There's a little pleasure for a moment, but ultimately it will destroy, destroy, destroy. And so sin's devastation is the curse of the scroll. The scroll, the Mosaic law, God's holy standard. Anybody who disobeys God's holy standard deserves the curse, which is total destruction, ultimately lake of fire, right? So here, I would call, if the flying scroll is sin's devastation, then this woman in a basket is sin's defeat. All right, think of that, sin's defeat. Now, I already read the text to you. Let me tell you the picture that I see when I, when I read that, and then I want to bring out some key, key things in the text. Here it is. The Lord Jesus has promised to return to Jerusalem someday. True? He's going to come with power and great glory. And when he comes in to Jerusalem and sits on the throne, he is the King of kings and Lord of lords. He will have victory over sin, death, Every rebel nation, he will be the omnipotent one sitting on a throne, ruling and reigning in righteousness. True? He is going to remove sin from this planet. He will uh, bind it up. He will, with a rod of iron, for a thousand years, have a kingdom of peace and righteousness. So we know that is going to happen. So here's 
what I see. Before we get into the actual text, go with me to Ezekiel chapter 1. Because Ezekiel and Zechariah were contemporaries. Ezekiel was a prophet in, the, in Babylon during the exile. Zechariah was born during the days of Ezekiel. So no doubt he knew these texts. Go to Ezekiel, the prophet Ezekiel chapter 1. And I want to show you the parallels between Ezekiel and this woman in a basket. Ezekiel chapter 1, he's sitting by the river, Kebar, up in Babylon, when he receives this vision. Ezekiel chapter 1, let's begin in verse 26. We're going to skip all the other things in the first vision. Ezekiel 1, 26. And above the firmament, over their heads, so here you have some four living creatures with wheels underneath them and wings and uh, brightness and all sorts of glory and light and things like that. So above the firmament, over their heads, the heads of these four living creatures was the likeness of a throne. Picture that. So there's a throne. There's a likeness of a throne in appearance like a sapphire stone. On the likeness of of the throne was a likeness with the appearance of a man high above it. Also, from the appearance of his waist and upward, I saw, as it were, the color of amber with the appearance of fire all around within it. And from the appearance of his waist and downward, I saw, as it were, the appearance of fire with brightness all around. All right, so here is the Son of God seated on his throne. There is underneath him a big flat pavement called the firmament, and underneath the firmament are these four living creatures with wings and wheels being able to go any direction they want. It is literally a mobile throne room of God. And Jesus, seated on the throne from the waist up, is the color of amber, and below, he's like fire, fiery, fiery. So he's quite a spectacle to look at. He's awesome in his glory. I think you would all agree with that. Verse 28, like the appearance of a rainbow in a cloud on a rainy day. So was the appearance of the brightness all around it. This was the appearance of the likeness of the glory of the Lord. Awesome, right? Tremendous. The Lord God himself seated on a throne with fiery waste and all down below, and then up above the color of amber with lights and color and sounds. It's going to be, it's glorious. Now, now, take your Bibles and go with me further. Ezekiel chapter... And again, this to take you right through it quickly. Ezekiel chapter 3, verse 18. This all is going to play a part of the woman in a basket. Ezekiel 3, verse 18 and 19. God has commissioned Ezekiel to be a watchman. He needs to tell the people of Israel, that are, or the people of Judah that are captive in Babylon, to repent, to change their mind about their sin and their need of a Savior. They need to return to God with faith, Offering sacrifices that will be acceptable to the Lord. Verse 18, God says, When I say to the wicked, you shall surely die, and you give him no warning, nor speak to warn the wicked from his wicked way to save his life, that same wicked man shall die in his iniquity. Notice the word iniquity. But his blood I will require at your hand. Yet, if you warn the wicked, and he does not turn from his wickedness. That word is not used often in the Bible. Do you remember the name of the woman in the basket? Wickedness. So here we have wickedness. If you do not turn from your wickedness, nor from his wicked way, he shall die in his iniquity, but you have delivered your soul. So there's wickedness going on. God does not like wickedness. Do you agree? All right, let's move on. Uh, Let's go to Ezekiel chapter 4, verse 4. Ezekiel, the prophet, he actually does 12 different signs. He does all sorts of weird things. He cuts his hair and throws it in the wind. He... um, 
bakes bread over dung. And, you know, that's not very pleasant. Here, what he does in chapter 4 is he gets down on his hands and knees and he plays in the dirt. You know how it is, you play in the dirt? He builds a little replica of the city of Jerusalem in the dirt. Just a little model as he's playing with his, you know, Tonka trucks and stuff. He, and people are like, Ezekiel, what are you doing? You're a prophet. What are you doing on the ground? Well, I'm building something. Well, what are you building in the dirt? Well, I'm building um, the picture of the city of Jerusalem. And then he puts siege mounds and battering rams, and people are like, what are you doing? Because of Jerusalem's sin, it's going to be besieged, and the inhabitants will die. Oh, that's pleasant. You know, they're going to be under attack, and it's a devastating thing. But here, he's going to lie on his left side and then lie on his right side. Ezekiel 4.4, lie also on your left side and lay the iniquity of the house of Israel upon it. According to the number of days that you lie on it, you shall bear their iniquity. So we have the word iniquity being repeated. All right, so we have wickedness. We have iniquity. All These are all things that God has been warning and warning and warning the people. Don't keep it up. Don't keep it up. Don't go down this path. Don't go down this path. And now go to Ezekiel chapter 8. There's a third thing. So we have iniquity, we have wickedness, and we have a third thing. It is idolatry. These are the three sins that God holds the nation into account for. Iniquity, wickedness, and idolatry. So chapter 8 of Ezekiel. Verse 2, I looked and there was a likeness like the appearance of fire from the appearance of his waist and downward, fire, and from his waist and upward like the appearance of brightness like the color of amber. Have you heard that before? Ezekiel 8, 2 is the same throne room. It's a throne room scene of, of Ezekiel 1. All right, verse 3, he stretched out the form of a hand. This is Jesus on the throne. He stretched out his hand and took me by a lock of my hair, and the Spirit lifted me between earth and heaven, and brought me in visions of God to Jerusalem to the door of the north gate of the inner court where the seat of the image of jealousy was, which provokes to jealousy. There was an image. There was a statue that people had put up in the temple in place of God. And Ezekiel's looking at the statue that people should be worshiping the one true God, the God of heaven and earth, the God of Israel, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Instead, they put an image And it's caused God to be jealous. Now, can God dwell where there's sin? The answer is no. They put a sinful image into his holy place. So what does that mean God has to do? Stay or go? He has to go. So he is going to leave the Ark of the Covenant. His glory is going to leave the Ark of the Covenant in the temple, and it's going to go back to heaven for a time. Right? Make sense? Now, The idol, by the way, is wickedness. It is basically Satan's worship. It is the worship of the evil one. We're going to continue on. I'm trying to see if I can make this really clear to you. Verse 6. Furthermore, he said to me, Son of man, do you see what they are doing? The great abominations that the house of Israel commits here? Verse 6. To make me go far away from my sanctuary. Now turn again, you will see greater abominations. God said, if you, Judah, continue to live in sin... If you love wickedness and iniquity and idolatry, then I am leaving. I am not staying, God said. So now we know what happens. The glory of God that rests... Here, let me see if I can make this. I want to make this crystal clear. Here is the Ark of the Covenant in the Holy of Holies. Right above the Ark of the Covenant is the glory cloud, the Shekinah glory. It is the presence of God on earth. God said, if you have idolatry and wickedness and iniquity going on, I am not staying here. I'm going to go. So you've got a choice. Do you want your idols or do you want me? 
The nation said, we want our idols. You get out of here. So the glory of God from chapter 8 through chapter 10 leaves. It lifts up with cherubim. What are cherubim? Winged angels. Now picture that. We've got winged angels. What's on the Ark of the Covenant? Two, two cherubim with wings stretching out. So you've got two with wings. Do you see where this, go, this is going? So you've got the glory of God, which is, this is the presence of God. You have two angels with two wings, and the glory of God lifts up, and it goes to the threshold. From the threshold of the temple, it goes out to the eastern gate. From the eastern gate, it goes to the Mount of Olives. From the Mount of Olives, it goes up to heaven, and the glory of God, the presence of God, is off of the earth. Now, what's in his place? Idols. Idols and idol worship, which is, what's behind idols? 1 Corinthians 8 through 10, demons. When they worshiped idols, they were worshiping Satan himself. Does Satan want our worship? Yes, he does. He does not want us, want us worshiping or giving allegiance to Christ. Now, picture this. Jesus is coming back to the temple, right? In order for him to come back in his glory to the temple, what has to happen to idolatry? It has to leave. They're not going to share the same throne. You agree? So when Jesus comes back, he has got to do something with the idolatry and the image of jealousy that's in the temple, and he has to get it out of there. So what we have with the woman in the basket is this. I think it is, sat- it is, sat- it is the presence of Satan. Much like God has an ark, and he had two winged creatures, and he dwelt above it. So you have the presence of Satan pictured as a woman in the basket, and Jesus is going to get it out of there. You know, like how their, their sin drove him away? Now he's going to come and drive sin away. All right? And he's going to take sin in one day. He's going to wrap it up. He's going to throw it back in Babylon, and then he's going to burn that whole city, and it's over. Sin is defeated. That's an awesome picture. And I think the Jewish people picked it up right away. You know, it's like an imitation. It's a parody is what it is. It's a parody of what the truth of Jesus Christ is all about. Now, is that clear what I'm trying to do? So what we have here is the woman in the basket is an anti-ark. The two women with wings are anti-cherubim. It's going to Babylon, which is an anti-Jerusalem. It's, it's, just, it's, it's all a substitute for Christ, and Jesus is going to clean it up and get it out of there. It's such a great vision. Now, let's go back to Zechariah 5. I want you to get excited that this is going to happen someday. Let me explain it as we go to Zechariah 5, verse 5. By the way, if you read Ezekiel 1 through 10, I think it will, you'll see all the allusions. There's phrases that are used over and over in Ezekiel 1 through 10 that parallel the woman in the basket scene. So here it is. Here's my view of this text. Zechariah 5.5, Then the angel who talked with me came out and said, Lift your eyes now and see what this is that goes forth. So I asked, Well, what is it? And he said, It is a basket. That's the word ephah. And ephah was, was simply a, a place you would store grain. It could be made out of mesh. It could be, it could be made out of wood. It could be, it's any vessel that carries a certain amount of grain. All right? So it's just simply a basket, a box, Maybe made out of wood, maybe made out of mesh. It doesn't tell us. And it is going forth. That's huge. Everybody, it's going forth. It's not staying, it's not staying still. It is moving out. Where was it? It was in the temple. Where is it moving? Out of the temple. Why is it moving out of the temple? Because Jesus is coming home. Right? 
So this basket is going out, it's moving out. He also said, this is their resemblance throughout the earth. That word resemblance in the Hebrew, it means what they see. So the New King James identifies it as resemblance, like what they see, it resembles what they see. I don't think that's the best English word. The Hebrew, what they see, is also iniquity. What did the people see? What did God see? He saw the people's iniquity, wickedness, and idolatry. So I think it would be better said, what is this basket? This basket is the iniquity of the people throughout the earth, or throughout the land, particularly of Judah. Ha-Eretz, the land of Judah. So this basket is a picture of the wickedness that the people were involved in. And what was the wickedness? Idolatry. They had an image of jealousy in the place of God. Now, look at the next text, verse 7. Here is a lead disc lifted up, and this is a woman, literally in the Hebrew, one woman sitting inside the basket. Not just a woman, one woman in the basket. All right, let's talk. Let me tell you what this means. According to just from what I understand, here is a lead disc. That word lead disc, it's kikar operet in the Hebrew. Kikar operet, lead disc. I do not think, if you see the pictures of this on, online, if you Google it, you'll see a picture of a lead, like a manhole cover. Doesn't it sound like that? A, le- a manhole cover covering the basket? I don't think so. The word lead, kikar, it means talent. 66 times in the Old Testament, it's never used for a disc. It's, it's always used for a talent. A talent is 66 pounds. And kikar, lead. So you have a lead weight of 66 pounds. It's pretty heavy. Okay? So I don't think it's lead disc. I think it is a lead talent. A talent of lead, the material lead. 66 pounds of lead. Right? It's not a disc. Um, if, if you use the word disc, you violate the other 66 times it's found in the Old Testament. Every other time it's used, that same word, it's always a talent. 66 pounds of lead. That's how I view it. Here is a 66-pound um, chunk of lead lifted up. All right, what do you think that lead is? Here's what I think, everybody. I think that 66 pound of lead is a statuette. I think it is a statue. I think it is an idol. It's a picture of a, it's a statue of a woman. Okay, let me tell you something else about Kikar Oprah. This lead disc, it is the same. It's very similar to the word mercy seat. Mercy seat is kaparet. Kikar, so you have kakar operet, and then you have kaparet. They're very similar sounding. So the lead disc is very similar to the mercy seat. What's the mercy seat? It's the top of the ark. It is where, it's where the presence of God was enthroned, on the mercy seat. I think this, this lead statue of a woman is where Satan was enthroned. It was, it was all the worship of the world to a statue, because the statue represented Satan. Does that make sense? All right, so you have a lead disc. This, I think it's better, this lead 66-pound statue of a woman was lifted up. It's, this is a woman. One, now it's one woman. Why one woman? I think it has a parallel to how many gods are there? One God. Remember the hero of the Lord your God is one God? I think Satan's a great counterfeit. He's like, hey, this statue is representing me. This statue represents Satan. I want everybody to bow down to the statue because I want your worship. Make sense? So the statue is a lead image of a woman lifted up out of the basket, but as soon as it's lifted up, 
Verse 8, then he said, the angel said, this is wickedness. Now the word wickedness is so close to the word Asherah. Do you know what Asherah is? Asherah was an idol. It's um, the Babylonian goddess. Ishtar, Asherah, we get Easter from Ishtar, the Babylonian goddess. Asherah is the, it's the name for the queen of heaven, which was an image of a woman that everybody in pagan times bowed down to. Isn't that amazing? See, I think God is so clear. All of these illusions. So what do you have? You have a 66-pound lead statue that everybody would bow down to because they were bowing down to Satan and not to God. It's in a basket, which is a box like the Ark of the Covenant. And it comes out. It's lifted out of the basket for everybody to see this is the wickedness of the people. They love everything but God. It gets thrust down into the basket. And then it says... Verse 8, and threw the lead cover over its mouth. That word, lead cover, is a different word than the lead disc at the beginning. It's the word evan, operet. A stone. A stone covers this ephah, this basket. So this stone is a heavy stone that the idol cannot get out. All right, make sense? So what are we seeing? We're seeing a strange picture of the Ark of God except it's really, this one's the Ark of Satan. And instead of the tablets of stone and everything good inside the Ark, you have this idolatrous statue that is representing the worship of Satan. And Jesus is going to get rid of it once for all. Verse 9, Then I raised my eyes, that's the same text in Ezekiel 8, and looked, and there were two women coming with the wind in their wings. So the two women are pictures of like the two cherubim on the Ark of the Covenant, on the mercy seat. So now you have two women, one on each side, lifting up the basket. It looks like God's Ark of the Covenant. Can you picture it in your mind? They're like fake angels with wings, and they fly north, carrying the basket, much like you would see this chest called the Ark of the Covenant with two angels on it that pictured the presence of God. So here you have the presence of Satan over a basket or inside a basket, covered up with the lead stone so it couldn't get out, carried by two women with wings like angels, and it's going directly north to the land of Shinar. So, it says they lifted up the basket between earth and heaven. Verse 10, I said to the angel who talked with me, where are they now carrying the, where are they carrying the basket? He said to me, to build a house, literally a temple for it, in the land of Shinar. You know what Shinar is? Let me tell you quickly, just in a few minutes, what Shinar is. Shinar is found in Genesis 10. It is the first time it's found in the Bible. God created everything perfect. Satan corrupted it, right? And in Genesis 10, you have the first organized rebellion against God. There was a man in Genesis 10 named Nimrod. Nimrod, it says, was a mighty hunter facing the Lord. Again, if you've heard me preach this before, in Genesis 10, Nimrod being a mighty hunter facing the Lord, it's not that he shot, he shot deer for venison and elk. and He didn't shoot animals. He was a mighty hunter trying to shoot who? God. He went face to face with God in a fight. And he was, Nimrod was so evil, he said, God, get down here. I will shoot you with a bow and arrow. I will stab you with a spear. I want you dead. I am going to be God of this world. That's Nimrod in Genesis 10. He built a kingdom called Shinar. Another name for Shinar in Genesis 10 is 
Babylon. So Babylon is the origin of Satan worship. It is Satan's first organized kingdom against God's kingdom. Since that day, Satan's kingdom has fought against God's kingdom all the time. And even now, Satan's kingdom on this earth is battling Jesus Christ's authority and rule. There's a fake church battling the true church. Isn't that true? All right. So God is going to take the presence of Satan bound up in an idol. He's he's going to watch it get carried off to the north and go back to where it started. Idolatry started in Shinar with the Tower of Babel, Babel. It's an organized kingdom against God, and it's going to end in Babylon. So in Revelation 17, what happens? In the last days before this earth is regenerated, all evil will be centered in Babylon. And there'll be a giant statue that the Antichrist will make of himself, and the false prophet will make everybody worship the statue, just like it says in here. Amazing. And then what what does Jesus do to Babylon in the last day? He will burn that city to dust. And everything evil will be, will be done forever. There'll be an uprising, of course, at the end of the millennial kingdom, but he's going to put an end to sin by destroying Satan's headquarters, Shinar. See how it all comes together? Does the woman in a basket now begin to make sense? It's not a real woman that for some reason is crouched taking a little airline trip to a north. No, it is a picture of the satanic worship it's, it's idols that Satan has, has developed so that he might be worshipped. And God is going to remove it once for all from mankind and from planet Earth. Isn't that a glorious story? So verse 11, he said to me, to build a house for it in the land of Shinar when it is ready, the basket, or better yet, the statue, the basket's not in the Hebrew, I would say the statue will be set there on its base. And then God's going to pull the rug out of Babylon and destroy it totally. So either you're on Satan's side or you're on God's side. Is there any other options, people? No. Everybody in this room right now is either pledging allegiance to Satan or you're pledging allegiance to Christ. There's no other alternative. If people are unsaved, where's their allegiance? To Satan. They are a child of wrath, a child of the devil. When you place your faith in Jesus Christ, you become a child of God, but then you have an option of proclaiming allegiance to Jesus every day. Who will you serve? Satan and your flesh, or will you serve Jesus Christ? Right? We have, we have that option every single day. I want you to know this is Satan's defeat. God is going to take the presence of Satan, wrap it up, move it out like the Ark of the Covenant. So when Jesus comes back, much like he left and Satan took over, so he's going to come back in his glory. He's going to kick Satan out of his temple And it'll be a picture of the Ark of the Covenant with two women with wings taking it off. They're going to set up their camp in Babylon for one last stand against Jesus. And then Jesus will conquer that rebel power. Our God is a conqueror. He's a rescuer. Now, does that woman in a basket make sense? Now, I have found other theologians who agree with that view. It's not the majority view, though. But that is my view, that... What we have here is a picture of the Ark of the Co- a fake Ark of the Covenant with fake angels with the presence of Satan bound up in it and in a lead statue, and it's going to be set up for idolatry where it began in Babylon, and then God's going to destroy Babylon once for all. And then it's over. We live forever with Christ. No sin. No presence of sin. No uprising. Isn't that a glorious story? 
What a great finish. It's a great finish to human history. All right, so be patient and have hope. Our God is, is coming. He is coming back. All right, so that vision makes... These are hard visions. Not, these are not easy texts to preach. But if you look, the more you study it, the more you see this whole theme of temple, tabernacle, Ark of the Covenant. Oh, let me throw this out at you. I have not had time to fully develop this. There is something about the Day of Atonement with Christ our High Priest in all of this. I think there's something about the Day of Atonement that fits through all these visions. I'm almost there. I'm not there yet, but almost. All right. right, I can't really take any questions because of our time, but if you have thoughts... Look it up, research it, talk to me about it. I'd love to hear your, your, your thoughts. You know what this is right here? The Lord's table? It is an opportunity for you to renew your allegiance to Christ. Right? When you eat the bread, you are saying, Christ died for me. You're not just saying that. You're also saying, I'm going to live for his righteousness' sake. Paul says it to the Corinthians this way in 1 Corinthians 8. How dare you, Corinthians, Partake of the Lord's table. And then the next day, you go to the temple of Apollos and give him allegiance. You just proclaim allegiance to Christ in church with your brothers and sisters, and the next day you're proclaiming allegiance to, a, a, to an idol. And then he says in 1 Corinthians 10, do you know what's behind every idol? Demons. Satan is. So when you worship idols, you're worshiping Satan. So you have a choice. Will you worship Christ? With your life, or will you worship Satan? So tonight, we are, we are proclaiming allegiance to the Lamb of God. Oh, that's a great thing. Amen. It's a great, great thing. All right, well, let's pray. And if, as I pray, maybe the deacons could come and prepare the table, and we'll pass out the elements. Father, thank you for these very difficult visions of Zechariah, particularly now this woman in a basket. I can just picture this lead statue, this heavy 66-pound statue, in a basket or a crate of some kind, 